This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from all the major sporting leagues. Signed memorabilia, wrestling, cards, old comic books, anything you want, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Red Dead Redemption, Silent Hill 2, and so many others. Everything you see on their website's available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down onto today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts, travel mugs, Phone cases, anything you need or want, it is there. But the freest thing, the most important thing, the best thing to do to support the show each and every week is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is a stand-up comedian who you may have seen on season 13 and 15 of America's Got Talent. You can listen to his albums, Hugs, Drugs, Pugs, and Calm Down Peasants on Spotify. Professional Roaster... Alex Hooper. Yeah, that is me. But don't worry, I will hold my roasting skills for now. We just met. I think we need to get it to know each other a little bit better before I start eviscerating you for any reason. Right now, it's nothing but love. That's awesome. Okay, let's see how good I do by the end of the show if you get enough material to roast me into oblivion, as they say. Certainly. <laughs> Okay, before we get into anything and all that fun stuff, because obviously America's Got Talent, that's huge, everyone watches it. We have Canada's Got Talent, but we also get the American version, obviously, being right so close, right? So, but before we get into all that, what made you want to become a comic? What made you want to become a roaster? Like, what was your journey into comedy? I, you know, I moved out to Los Angeles 15, almost 15 years ago, mainly to be an actor. I was already in the Screen Actors Guild, uh, which we're on 
strike right now, so woo! Right. Um, but yeah, I moved out here to act. Got kind oh. of bored with how little I was able to do that. Okay. And a friend of mine pushed me into stand-up comedy, and I just immediately, from the first moment I did it, I was like, oh. This is what I've actually been looking for. Um, it was just a way to express myself, a way to discover who I am at right. my core, a way to deal with my issues and channel my energy in a way that was completely healthy. And from the moment I started doing it, I realized that it was the only thing I wanted to do. Not the only thing I want to do forever, but that this would be my path that would really lead me to where I wanted to go in this life, which I still don't know exactly where I want to go, but it's doing a pretty good job at pointing me in the, the, the direction. So yeah, I mean, stand up is one of those things where if it's in you, you should try it and you'll know pretty quickly whether or not you want to continue because it is hard. It is humiliating. It can be very embarrassing, <laughs> but you learn so much about yourself in the process that for me, I needed something to kind of carry me away from my childhood self-hatred that I, you know, I have a supportive family. I had great friends, but I hated myself until I was about 22, 23 years old. And okay. then I started turning things around. And I started comedy when I was 23, almost 24. And that's when I really started finding out the human, finding the human that I'm supposed to be. So when you started, was it pure jokes or was it the roasting? No, I didn't. So I didn't roast for the first few years. I did comedy. Okay. It was just it was just pure stand up. Right. I I fell into roasting just kind of half bass backwards. Like I, there was a show at the comedy store called Roast Battle, which a lot most people that are know comedy are familiar with at this point. Right. And I would go to the comedy store to watch that show every Tuesday because the energy was electric. Mm. I had never seen a show where people <laughs> were pounding on the walls and stomping their feet. And it was the circus in there. And I remember watching that show and going, I am never going to do that. I want no part of it. Because at the time, I still didn't like the person that I oh, was. I didn't like what I looked like. Gotcha. Uh, I really hadn't gotten there yet. Sure. It's about six months into the show, a friend of mine, another comedian, Jason Van Glass, he wanted to do roast battle, but nobody would battle him. So he asked me as a favor if I would please do it. Okay. And I thought, okay. I'll do this this one time. Sure. We battled, and it was one of those nights where everything was hitting on all cylinders. Like, nice. we were both firing, and it was back and forth, back and forth. And the entire room was exploding with this energy. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, great. I did it. I never want to do that again. Oh, and yeah, it was it was great, okay. but I just figured like I don't want to keep doing I don't want to keep setting myself up like this <laughs> sure. because here's here's what you learn when you do roast battle. Okay, it it's not the moment that somebody says a joke about you because look, I've already thought the worst things about myself that any anything you could say to me, trust me, I've thought way worse. <laughs> it's not the moment that okay. they say it; it's the moment 
when a hundred people see it and start laughing. Because make no mistake, they are (laughs) laughing at you. Stand up (laughs) comedy, they're laughing with With you. you. Roast battle, they're laughing at you. That's a good point. and you need to be able to take those hits and still stand on your feet and defend yourself. Sure. And after I did my first battle, which was so incredible, uh, the host of the show was like, somebody else wants to battle you. It's three weeks away if you want to do it. And I was like, I don't think I do. They were like, no, you're, you're doing it. <laughs> so that set me on this path where... I just kept winning these roast battles and hearing more jokes about myself. And the more I heard about myself, the more people, different ways people saw me, the more I started to appreciate my demeanor, my look, everything about me became a joke. And I was like, okay, if people see me in a thousand different hilarious ways, Mm -hmm. then why do I think that I'm not worthwhile? as a human being. Why do I hate the way I look? And so I just kept roast battling and it became, and I got better and better at it. I was still very aggressive when I did it. When I first started, like I would go for the jugular and I wanted Uh, to win. I was angry. I was mean because that part of me was still very much that childhood loathing would come out. (laughs) But then the more I won and the more success I got from it, it just kind of things kept opening up in me. I in 2015, I did Jason Reitman made a documentary about roast battle that went to Sundance. Oh, and nice. then I was the number one roast battler in LA for over a year. It was a really good feeling, but I was also bored mm. from just winning. I equate it to like, Mario Kart or a racing game. Sure. If you're always in the front, it's not that fun. Thank you. You don't get any good items. See? But to chase, that's when it's good. That's, that's when it's another thrilling. great point. Yes. Right? The defense is okay, but offense, when you're like really going after something, <laughs> that's what I missed. So I've been going to festivals for years, music festivals like Coachella, Lightning in a Bottle, things like that, like these big festivals. And when I went to these festivals, I would dress up in these outrageous outfits and costumes. Mm -hmm. And at those festivals is when I felt myself. That's when I was really like, I'm free. This is the best version of me. I'm the silliest. I'm the most fun. I'm the most loving. And I was at a festival and I had a really big battle coming up, a title defensive battle. Like when I was a year, maybe three months into having the number one slot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to roast battle in this weird outfit. I was wearing this crazy unitard and a tail. If anyone's ever seen my first America's Got Talent, that's what I was wearing at this music festival. Okay. And then I battled in that. And instead of speaking in my regular voice and being aggressive, I was like, Ooh, let me tell you a little bit about my opponent. And I won that battle. People, there were, there were two schools of thought. Half the people thought it was the most genius move that was ever done in roast battle. Mm. The other half thought I cheated. Oh, shit. And they thought that 
because they said I didn't battle as myself. I was putting oh. on this air of some other personality. Gotcha. And I argued, I was like, nope, that was the most myself I have <laughs> ever been on stage. I am finally discovering right. who I can be. And then next thing I knew, three weeks later, I got a call from Comedy Central and Jeff Ross inviting me to be on the second season as one of the main roasters. Nice. And that was a year where I just was like, oh, so if I do whatever I want <laughs> in comedy, I will be rewarded because no one else is doing it like I am. And after that, it was just off to the races. And I just, you know, I battled a while for a while longer, but then eventually I moved up to judging and things like that because oh, cool. the battles, they take a lot out of you and they're sure. very singularly focused. So I didn't want to keep doing it because I felt like I had gotten what I could from roast battling. No, that makes a lot of sense. And even from start to finish, like you said, you progressed and got better. I could only imagine what was going through your mind like the first couple of times roast battling towards even like today where you could just pop off anything from your head. But what I want to know yeah. is, is like you put out a book like to teach people how to roast battle, like the ultimate guide to roasting your friends. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so th this is something yeah. you could teach people. Yeah. So basically I made this free download on my website. It's not that, but that's not a book, by the way, that's just like a nine part little guide. Oh, on okay. how to throw a roast. Gotcha, but gotcha. I did that as a way to entice people to sign up for my website, for my email list. So you could see where my tour dates were. But right. People responded to that so much that in 2020, I did write a book, which is roast yourself to happiness. You and go. basically this is a self-help book where i teach you how to write roast jokes about yourself oh. to take away the judgment that you feel from other people because we all walk around thinking like i you know <laughs> i'm not good looking i'm sure. too short i hate my clothing i have bad skin things like that okay but what do you think about yourself and how if i I literally learned to love myself by other people making fun of me mm. and realizing that, okay, now I feel better about it. So I wrote this book to teach people just how to do that. And I, awesome. it's a program where you write roast jokes about yourself and eventually you won't feel like other people are judging you in any way. Or maybe they are, but it can't hurt, hurt you. you anymore. And that yeah. makes complete sense because I, I was the same way. Like, to me, I always grew up like I was a late bloomer. So I was short. I was skinny. Like, you know what I mean? Then I got my growth spurt in towards high school. But at the beginning, it was always being picked on. Oh, the skinny kid, the, the little runt, because I was like the third of, of, of my siblings too, right? So everyone called me like the runt. And it's like, it bothered me at first. But then when I started accepting it and saying and calling myself like Skeletor and stuff like that, it's like, for A, people stopped doing it. And then B, it's like when people did do it, it's like, ah, I've already heard it all. Like, I don't care. I, I know who I am. And what can you, like, what I say is it's hard to make fun of someone the way they're born because they didn't have a choice. Now, their choice in like clothing, their choice of hairstyles, maybe you could poke fun at that because that's their choice now that they chose to look like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and I opened myself to that hardcore. Like, the thing is, when I started dressing up in really silly ways, right. I started finally losing roast battles oh, a lot shit. more. 
because but here's the thing yeah. i didn't care because i was get, i was making the show better overall i was making it more entertaining instead of just two people wearing plaid shirts and jeans going <laughs> well you're a rapist well you're a school shooter uh, now yeah. I'm adding color and character and all these other things to it. And it didn't, I was giving the person that was roasting me so much ammunition. I remember that first time I dressed up in that costume and I'm battling my friend, Pat Barker and I'm beating him and nobody can believe what's happening Mm -hmm. because it's so bizarre. And Jeff Ross is in the judges section and he looks at Pat and he goes, Pat, stop with your jokes. Just look at this guy look at him right now he's having way too much fun just get him but that was the point i was having too much fun to possibly like you know hurt me in any way and it just kind of opened me up where i just thought like you know what this is the person who I am and this is how I will merge my festival self with my comedic self. Because I thought those were two separate Alex's and they're not, they are Mm. 100% me and everything that makes me who I am. And suddenly I was celebrated for it. And you know, that led that's that roast, all that roast battle stuff led to America's got talent, which is just, you know, that's a pinnacle, prime time television as a comedian. That's huge. And I was getting to do it as myself. I mean, as my roasting character. Right. Because that's the other thing. I just, I love, when I roast, I do it in, in as that character mm. that is infallible, indestructible, <laughs> arrogant, silly. Like all of the, you know, one all of the things that I am but i'm also not because i'm a very humble person in general right but when i'm that character you, nothing can hurt me That's nothing awesome. <laughs> and it's a really good feeling no and it, and it shows and i'm glad you brought up agt of course because i wanted to touch on that season 13 let's start off with that one obviously yeah. you know looking back now it went viral and then it catapulted for you to come back and all that but at the moment when you got all those exes what was going through your mind my friend because i like i saw it in your face and it looked like it didn't really phase you because you kept going and you going and going until finally you got that last x and then it was like okay want want type of thing right yeah so i mean here's i'm so i've never been a wrestling fan i mean i never really watched it or anything like that but I understand the concept of a heel. And a heel has to be likable as a bad guy. You can't just be this, you know, this degenerate asshole. You have to have some quality that makes people root for you, even if they don't want you to win. So that's what that character is. Mm. And when I was going on America's Got Talent, I first of all, I never thought I would be on that show. I couldn't believe they wanted me on that show. But I kept telling myself, this is not going to be good. There is no way <laughs> oh, no. they're going to like this. This is bad. Yeah. And a week before the show, my wife was like, she's my wife now. She's my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. She was like, Alex. I've never heard you talk like this. You're not a person that walks into a situation and thinks you're going to fail. What if they like it? What if they understand what you're doing? So I walked on that stage with the mentality of like, 
what if they do like it? Uh, what if okay. they celebrate it? And within my very first joke <laughs> against Tyra Banks, yeah. I was like, I'm fucked. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> but I also told myself, oh. whatever happens up there, okay. do not break character. Oh, because nice. if you break character, then it's all over. But if you don't and it goes poorly, you can just say, yeah. I was a troll. I was doing it all on purpose. I was just being ah, a professional asshole. Yeah. So I, that was my whole thing. Do not break. Do not break. Now at the time I'm on stage, I was up there for, you only see three minutes of that. Exactly. I was on stage for seven minutes. Oh shit. Because the room was so unruly okay. that they could not, I couldn't perform, oh. and Simon was just cracking up, so he refused to press his button. Right. And they literally were trying to calm the audience down because oh, wow. they were screaming at me. Right. And in my head, I am in full panic mode. Like, the the building is on fire, and I do not have an exit. Oh. I'm freaking out. Right. But... I just kept swinging my little tail and like was skipping around up there. And it was the hardest performance of my entire life. I don't know when it will get more difficult or more or scarier than that. Cause I walked off thinking, well, that's That's the biggest opportunity I've ever had. And that was awful. That was the worst it could have gone. And also I had never dealt with that much negative emotion oh, at one time. Good point. It, it, dude, it fills you with this sick feeling mm. where you're like, oh, God, like, I, well, what is, what's wrong with me? Mm. Like, something, like, I felt physically ill for the next few days. Oh, and that's horrible. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I was terrified, you know? But when it came out, they edited it in a way that what you see, I look like I'm completely in control of the situation. Right. It's completely purposeful. Yeah. And that I am just going on there to just tell the these tro- these uh, these these judges, hey, fuck you guys, <laughs> you can't mess with me. Right. And that's what it looks like. So suddenly, you know, the people that watch that show mostly hated it but when it got on the internet that's yeah that's when it all turned around because i was not going to read any comments i was terrified and then my friends some of my friends started texting me like dude you got to go on youtube right now man (laughs) this thing is is shooting up the fucking charts and people love you and i was like what and i went on there and sure enough, legend, the best performance ever on this show. <laughs> I agree. Finally, a reason to watch America's Got Talent. Every fucking comment. And Love I was it. like, oh. That's when I realized, like, I didn't go on that show to try to get a little section of America's Got Talent viewers. Exactly. I went on that show for everyone else. Yes. I didn't know that at the time. How could I have? You know? True. Yeah, in, in hindsight, obviously. And then, obviously, you come back for season 15, and you said the first season was the hardest that you were on, but now you come back during the pandemic with no audience. How fucked yeah. up was that? The most fucked up. Right? Um, that's the thing. is every So I've, done, I've performed on that show three times, and okay. every time has been an absolute comedian's nightmare. Jeez. And the week, so the week before... 
I did it. Uh, so March 4th, I performed on that show uh, for in 2020, yeah. March 14th, right? Which is the world is just starting to disintegrate yep. and shut down. In fact, <laughs> the week before, okay. week before, I had done a two-night ayahuasca ceremony. Oh, shit. And so I was on some intense psychedelic journey right. and i watched my entire performance on america's got talent i watched myself and they all understood the audience was cheering for me i was ready to walk wow. in there and take it and then a couple days before they're like there's not going to be an audience and the entire time we're sitting backstage people are just leaving left and right oh. half 75 percent of the crew that's is right home because of the limit. and we're like oh my god oh my god are we even going to get to film right luckily i was supposed to go late in the day and mm. they prioritized me and they just kept bumping me up to an earlier slot so oh. i could perform Beauty. but when i did obviously then i walk into a three thousand seat theater <laughs> And there's four people right? sitting in front of me. Well, three people sitting in front oh, yeah, of me. Right. Heidi wasn't even there because she was sick. Yes. So I got Terry on the side. Yep. And then I have Howie, Sophia, and Simon. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, now I really just look like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I had prepared this whole thing of this apology where everything was like, I'm oh. so sorry that you did this. And they were all roast jokes based on me. It's like, I'm so sorry for this. I'm this, this, this. Right. But when you when there is no audience, you really, you just look like you're an unhappy fucking goblin oh, no. walking on stage oh. to just talk shit. Right. So, but... They got it. They enjoyed it. Right. It was, yeah. And then I got, and then that whole season was just a fucking awful, I mean, not awful experience, but they were changing. Every single day was a new email, a different phone call. Here's what yeah. we're going to do now. Here's what we're going to do now. Here's what we're going to do now. And it was just, nobody knew what was happening in the world. That's and the thing. I was glad to have something to focus on because all other comedy oh. pretty much had been taken away. Right. But, it was really difficult to navigate that season because nobody gave a fuck. Everyone is worried about how they're going to wipe their ass. Not who's <laughs> going to be on America's Got Talent. <laughs> no kidding, so, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm but it was still good. Performances. You, yes, I'm very proud of those performances, especially the last one where I'm reading the book. Yes, that's my favorite one. Thank you. That's my favorite too. I knew I wasn't going to have an audience. And so I thought, how do I get away with this? where it's not reliant on their laughter. Ah. Because every comedian that season, people were like, man, the comedians are bad this season. No, they're not. These are professional comics. We just don't have an audience. And when you don't have an audience, nothing seems that funny. So my approach was do something that doesn't require external laughter. Do something that will keep me going no matter what. And that's how I came up with a book of just reading these things in a rhythmic format. And sure enough, like people that did see it enjoyed it because like parents were like, it was like you read my kids a bedtime story. Oh my goodness. You've got to be <laughs> kidding like, me. Yeah. I have a lot of kid fans because of the, because of that performance, which is really funny it's to, to me. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause uh, to me, that like you mentioned, it's your favorite, my favorite, what made it was how annoyed and angry 
Terry Crews was during the whole time. Like, you said, like, come on, man, come on. Like, you could see he was legitimately, like, starting to get fumed. And to me, that means you're doing your job as a roaster. And it was so good, so good, my friend. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you this, Steve. Like, honestly, Terry was the only one who knew what was really coming. Because oh, Terry okay. was with me during rehearsals. Oh. Terry was – we had to shoot promo stuff together. Okay, okay. So Terry is just a brilliant performer and an amazing human being who knew how to play it up oh, for that's television. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was it was great. He wasn't because I, my jokes about him were pretty harsh, <laughs> right? as they were as they were about everyone. Yeah. So, and then Simon, my biggest fan, wasn't there. No. So I like. I mean, I so I mean, I got a couple jokes on him that I put right to camera and everything. But I think it might have turned out differently if he had been there. But. Again, I, knows, I couldn't right? even believe that I was even in the top 25 that I'd made it to the live shows because I felt like I was never supposed to be there in the first place. So that, I, that you know, I was brought on that show to be a villain. And <laughs> that's not a show that has villains. Like, right? It, it's just not. They allowed me, they saw something in me, in my, in my way, in my style and my performance that were like, but this is fun, you know, and we need people. It will make people talk, which it did, because people on the show that watch the show are like, why is this guy back? What is this so mean? This, this, this. And they want that's what they want. They want conversation. They want viral uh, moments. They want people you love to hate, right? They, they, they need at least one or two. For sure. I mean, my friend Seth Ward and I talk about this. I'm actually wearing his shirt right now. Nice. This guy, if you've ever seen his stuff on America's Got Talent, he goes on there basically to fail. He wears these ridiculous animal costumes, and he does this stupid physical style of comedy that right. I think is hilarious. <laughs> but essentially, we're not going on there to win. We're going on there to just be a spectacle, to be a grandiose moment mm -hmm. for the show that isn't just some, I'm, I'm 17 and I've been living in a car and here's me singing somewhere over the rainbow. Right. Aren't I great? Like, okay. But we've <laughs> seen it. We've seen it. No exactly. one had ever seen somebody walk in there wearing a tail and just start talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So you think if you would have gone up there with just pure stand-up material, your role would have been totally different on AGT? Or do you even think my you would have gone on there? No, because my stand-up is not really AGT kosher. Ah, good um, point. It's a lot more edgy. I'm, I, I'm, a I'm a little dirty. I'm not like filthy or anything. Yeah. But I talk about things that are not for the AGT audience, and I go places that are a little offensive, a little bold. So they talked to me about coming back uh, this past season, and eventually we decided they decided to go a different direction. But it's one of those things where, look, I'm never looking for America's Got Talent again because I feel like I've had my time on that show and I've done it. If they make me an offer and they want me on, I'm not going to turn down that level of exposure <laughs> and, again, prime time television, mm -hmm. which in this day and age, like, you know, you can go on a late night show like Colbert or Fallon or something like that and – it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. No. Basically, you're just getting a really clean five-minute clip. You go on America's Got Talent, that's like 
eight to ten million people that watch that shit. Right. And then it's going to go on the internet. Uh-huh. So it's the opportunity is there, but it's not something I push for because also it's not paid. So you don't Good make point. money. You make money, but not from the show. Right. You make money in, after the show in other ways because you get opportunities. No, that makes complete sense. Now, did you have to run every single material by someone? Was there a, someone editing your stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially what I'm doing. They'd be like, you <laughs> That's can't say true. that. You can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> but one of my friends gave me a brilliant idea. He goes, Alex, okay. here's the thing. Send them some really gnarly shit oh, no. like send them stuff you know is never gonna get on the show okay and when they're like you can't say that i'll be like well what about this one and then it's still kind of uh, offensive still kind of edgy but then they look at that and they're like fine as long as you're not saying that other thing okay so i would just turn in like jokes like i mean some of the stuff i said about like heidi sophia <laughs> even even simon right. they were like are you okay? Like, how <laughs> is this really how you feel about right. these people? And I'd be like, I don't give a fuck about these people. Like, but the, the fact is, I do. They are iconic celebrities. They have all done their part to get to where they are. Exactly. And they are, I have nothing but respect for every single person on that show because if I didn't respect them, I couldn't roast them. Mm. So, oh, there you go. I, even Mel B, who hated me and was like pressing Simon's button. I know. I still, I was a Spice Girls fan when I was a kid. Who wasn't? Exactly. <laughs> of course I want to go on there and look at a Spice Girl and say some shit, you know? But, of course, the things I really wanted to say, they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I thought about just doing them anyway, because the, the last performance, the one when I'm in the chair reading the book, yeah. that's live. Oh, that shit. is a live show. That's true. And I, at one point, I said to my producer, I was like, oh. what if I just did it anyway? How are you going to stop me? Oh, no. It's a live show. And she looked at me, and she goes, Alex, I swear to fucking God, okay. do not play this game with me. And I was like, okay. All right. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I didn't want to. Look, look, I'm not trying. I'm a. Oh. I do, like, I re- I'm rebellious but in a way that works sure. for TV. I don't want to be the guy where they're like, well, that was a big mistake putting him on there. Yeah, exactly. Because I also want to be professional. Yeah. So I knew part of me was like, this is a moment. What if you just say it anyway? But then I was like, no, I because that's not what a professional does. They play within the rules and they find their own ways to break them that are still within your limitations no that makes complete sense and how hard was it for you then to water down some of your material for it to be on tv it was a challenge but a challenge that i accepted because in roast battle we can say whatever the fuck exactly i have said terrible horrible (laughs) things to people in that show things that i would never even repeat but now I have to write family-friendly roast jokes. I have to write jokes that a seven-year-old is watching with his family. And exactly. it's funny to me when people like people are like, dude, these jokes are weak. I'm like, you oh, try on. to write a roast joke for NBC. <laughs> they don't watch what I do. If you think I'm weak, watch what I fucking do on Comedy Central's roast battle. Watch what I do on that shit. Then tell me my jokes are weak. Like, it was its own challenge to get those jokes to a place where they were still harsh, but 
in a acceptable and inviting way that mm. let people know that like I you guys gotta know I'm kidding. That's also part right. of I'm wearing those outfits. I'm, oh, I'm wearing a fucking spandex bodysuit and an orange Thank fur you. coat. You think I'm serious? <laughs> I'm here? Come on. But you know what? But that's today's society because we accept everything and everything is normal that when someone is out there, people just take it as okay, it's just another person now. It like it's so hard to be out of the box because everyone's out of the box now. Everyone is like just out there. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I tell people because a lot of people ask me like, hey, I'm going, they ask for advice about going on America's Got Talent. Like I have an audition. What do you suggest? And I tell them, look, whatever you're going to do, you need to be memorable. That is the most important thing. It's you true. cannot go in there with a mediocre halfway performance. You need whatever you're doing. You need to go all fucking out, whether it's the best thing you've ever done or maybe it's the worst thing you've ever done. But no matter what, you need to give them a reason to be like, whoa, people are going to talk about that. Mm. That's why we need it. That's why. That's what I learned when I went on the first season. Because my producer from the first season, she literally told me I was the very last tape that she showed oh, wow. to the executives. And the executives, she, she was like, they were like, do you have anything else? She goes, well, I got this one thing. Let me just show you what it is. Sure. And it was me in my outfit, like, doing this. And they were like, who is this? <laughs> Get him in here. There Get him in here. Because... They knew that controversial is a is beneficial for the show. Right. No, that makes complete sense, of course. Now, I want to touch on your comedy albums quickly, too. What came first, your 2018 album or your appearance on AGT? I, so I recorded that uh, album in September of 2017. God, it was released in March of 2018. And I, uh, which is actually exactly, I think I auditioned in, I did audition in March of 2018. Oh, so the go. album had just come out and now I was getting this appearance on America's Got Talent. Perfect so I'm timing. like, ooh, this is good timing. Now yeah. also in 2018, I had made a calendar called Pug Yoga, just a silly project of okay. one of my pugs and i doing yoga together all over los angeles and that made it onto the ellen show oh wow featured it on january 2nd of 2018 is look at this weird calendar you can buy so i was having a fucking year i was like okay i've been doing stand-up now for like nine years i think at that point and suddenly everything is clicking together i'm figuring out who i am and because of that i'm in, i'm being embraced by audiences all over the place and the comedy community so i'm so that first album i mean i'm, pr- I'm so proud of both those albums it was basically a collection of all of my favorite bits from my first eight years of oh, doing stand-up. Okay. And I made sure it was cohesive. It was. I, I recorded at one of my absolute favorite venues, which is not there anymore. It's called The Meltdown um, in Los Angeles. Mm. And I had like 100 people there. Nice. I just did one show. Oh. But it was what I wanted. I knew I could go in there and just deliver. Um, and then, you know, that album did really well for me and it's still i it has a lot more plays than my second album because my second album came out in the pandemic and again you know 
people have bigger fish to fry. Sure. Uh, they're like, um, you want me to listen to your album? How do I feed my family? <laughs> uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now, dude. So things get lost along the way, but yeah. you still have to make tangible things for people to listen to, watch, hold, whatever it may be. You know, I can't stop <laughs> just because I don't think it's going to get the attention that maybe I want it to. I still have to do it. You know, when I, that's why I wrote that book. That's why I was like, I need to do things mm. to just keep myself going. And I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm very proud of those. And they're both on, you can listen to them on Spotify. If you want a hard copy, those are on Amazon. You can listen to them on Amazon, whatever, you know, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta make things. You gotta put your stuff together and give people a reason to find you. Yeah, and they're both two fantastic albums. Like your first one, was, speaking of Amazon, it hit number one on Amazon at one point. So that's fantastic yeah. right there alone. And just the title alone, Hugs, Drugs, and Pugs. Like, come on, like that just rolls off your tongue. And just quickly, a few of your bits on there, oh my God, it had me dying, was I would never have thought to hear someone ever in comedy talk about dropping E with their parents. Like, come on, my... <laughs> like, like, again... Everyone knows E is a lovey-dovey drug. What, like, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? I mean, it's one of those it's one of those moments where you just go, you know what? My my mom's super cool, and that's awesome. This is, uh, let's go. You know, she was she was, at that oh. point she was in her late sixties. Oh shit! And yeah, so it was a, it was something she had never done before. Okay, and I was like, look, mom, I'm not like I like you trust me. There you go. But yeah, just a weird, obviously a weird experience. I mean, that album, it's such a, like, it is, it's very much me. But at the time, I had been writing such alternative style bits. Like, I think about the, some of my bits on there and where they came from. Like, one mm-hmm. of my favorites is the Driving Blue. Oh, of bit, course. Which is just such a, it's such a weird thing to joke about but i take i used to take everything to its extreme limits and that joke has so much heart in there and i think that's at the core of what i really try to get across my comedy is dark it's a little fucked up it's a little trippy and psychedelic but there's a lot of love in what i'm doing in there you know my second album there's a bit about me teaching a kid how to slack line and i eventually tell him that he's gonna try to kill himself one day (laughs) that and but the joke is that today is not gonna be that day and you're gonna keep going in this life and it's kind of beautiful where it ends up even though people hear that they're like jesus christ man well out of context of course right (laughs) right but that's what i that's kind of my my i always consider my style to be unapologetically positive very dark and very silly because the darker i go the sillier i have to be otherwise i just seem like i'm depressed or i'm angry and that is not the case anymore that's old 15 year old alex that's not modern day alex so the sillier i get the darker i get at the same time because i'm not shying away from shit that I want to talk about, you know, my whole set right now is a lot of it is about having cancer because I just beat cancer. So, so I was going on stage with a pick line in my arm. People were actively watching me die and I'm making fun of it. Wow. And what a challenge that was. 
but it forced me to show them that I'm loving and anything can be funny if we joke about it the right way. No, it's so true. And I want to get back to that whole cancer because, uh, of course, how can you not? Like, you beating it, congratulations, my friend, and all that fun stuff. Thanks. But I want to go through the process because I think, to me, like, I'm one of those people, quickly, is comedy heals everything, I find. Like, without comedy, I find life would be either so boring or too serious. Or, like, comedy is like how, if, if this makes sense to the older generation, it's like how music soothed them is what comedy does to me now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I couldn't laugh, g- game over. No ifs, ands, or buts. So the way you went through it all, fantastic, my friend. But before we get to that again, uh, b- back to that first album, not only are you silly, not only are you dark, your, your writing is so fucking smart, my friend. Like, just some of these oh, observations. Like, the one with the police dogs, where they have the smartest dogs and the dumbest people. Oh, my God. Like, I never thought of that shit. That's that's <laughs> so good, man. That's so good. I, I, loved, I love doing that jo- the, those kind of jokes where you're just, you're, the audience, it's nothing that they don't know. It's just something that they've never thought about. Right? And so when you put these pieces together for them, yep. they're like, Oh, that's exactly what it is. Like, you know, they're putting the, they're literally putting a human and the dog on the same <laughs> level as each other. And it's just, so it's good. so, I mean, how embarrassing for the cops, you know? But hey. yeah, things like that. I mean, talking about how oh. dogs, how, how, uh, uh, ASPCA charges more money per day than UNICEF, so it's say, more expensive to save a dog yes. than it is to save a child. That too. Like those kind of like realizations. <laughs> when you think of those things, when you see it happening, you go, "Oh, there's so much humor in this," and mm. people just you, you just need somebody to show it to you, and then it's obvious. The best jokes to me are when you go. Of course. Why has nobody said that shit before? You know? Exactly. That was like that was like Carlin's whole thing. He's pointing out obvious truths, but we are too blindsided by the rest of the world to realize what's right in front of us. You know how long it took me to realize the whole hot dogs in, in a package compared to buns in a package? <laughs> like you like that was right there, but no one ever questioned it for the longest time until of whoever it was that came up with it and it's like Really, it's I so know true. about it from Father of the Bride, ah. the, the Steve the Steve Martin movie, because there's a Maybe scene where he was. gets arrested yeah. because he's ripping open hot dog buns. <laughs> right. Going, there's ten hot dogs and eight buns. I don't need ten hot dogs if I have eight buns. And like he that he gets arrested. Maybe that's what it was it. for me too. <laughs> Had to yeah, be. it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> yeah, fucking why, why? I know. It's so good. And one last thing about the first album, my friend. I gotta know, but you already I think answered it for me. That because it was all one take and everything. That ADHD bit. How the hell did you get through that in one take? And how long did it take you to get to that point? So a bit like that. Um, it's it's you build it. It doesn't start ah. as this giant piece, right? Okay. And that's okay. kind of the way I look at things like that. It's not even a joke. It's a performance piece. Mm. And before I was ever a joke writer, I was an actor. I was a performer. So I wanted to do things that kind of ex- uh, sh- showcased my skills. Okay. And one thing I'm very good at is speaking quickly and enunciating. And now a lot of people in the comedy world will say, if you have to talk loud and you have to talk fast, you're covering up the fact that something's not very funny oh i 
disagree with that. Okay. I think it is its own skill. And that bit came from, I worked at Universal for 12 for over a decade when I moved to LA. I was a ticket seller there. That is, and I would watch that happen time and time again, where these parents would come up and they would be like, we need front of the lines, but we're not going to pay for it because my child is disabled. Right. And it's like, well, okay. Like, you know, and it's every once in a while, we wouldn't be able to ask questions, but sometimes people would, that was a real thing that happened. Mm. My child has ADHD. We can't wait in lines. And I'll, my brain just goes, Fucking everyone has ADHD. Right? What do you think you're special for? Like, you know? <laughs> and that's where I just started, you know, that bit took a long time to mm. develop because you go to open mics, you try it at shows, oh, okay. and it keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer until eventually you hit a stamp and you go, there. That's the button. Mm. That's where it all ends. Right. And it was a really just fun bit for me to do because it just took me to this place where you can't escape that bit. And I like when I when I force myself into a situation where there is no out. A lot of jokes, you can go, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to cut it early and just go on to the next thing. There is that. That's not an option right. with the ADHD bit. That's exactly. not an option for a few. There's on my second album, the self help books bit. There's mm. no getting yes, out of that's that. That's another bit. one. I have to do it the way I wrote it. Exactly. And there, that's it. And so, come with me or not, but I kind of overpower the audience in those situations to being like, look, whether you are enjoying this or not, <laughs> you're on this fucking ride with me and you have a front of the line pass, Aiden. So <laughs> it's, I love writing bits like that because it really is a test of where I'm willing to go and mm. the boundaries that I will push within my own comedic self. No, and that's awesome. And speaking of pushing boundaries, then you come out with the 2022 Calm Down Peasants. Oh my God, again, fantastic, smart writing. The Lazy Susan, I don't want to get into too much. Just that on its own. Please go listen to it. You, I would, watch again, it on YouTube. I made oh, that one into a sketch. Oh, even better. Shut up. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I got to watch that one then. I, I got to watch yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because that Lazy Susan bit. Just be like, here, just watch it on YouTube, guys. Because you're probably watching some of this on YouTube or something anyway. If you're you know, listening to it, whatever. It's, it's just crazy how, again, another observation that you would never think of. That someone actually named it probably after. Okay, anyway, I don't want to ruin the bit. Go, go listen to it. That's fantastic. But. What I want to know, has your goal, have you achieved of doing crack yet, my friend? <laughs> no, it's still <laughs> never done crack. It's unfortunate. <laughs> but again, talk about, I mean, no, talk about a bit that started oh. from nothing. I, I remember the exact moment I wrote it. Because okay. I wrote the entire bit out as a single like as two pages and i oh, just okay. kind of just went on this ride in my own brain i was on the road i was in a hotel and i had this idea and i just started writing it and it's one of those actually this is really fun so my wife is not a not a big stand-up fan anyway she's not a huge, okay. she enjoys me being a comedian because she knows what it does for me gotcha but that bit specifically uh -huh. she fucking hates oh no and the reason <laughs> she hates it is because there's no realism whatsoever it's a completely fictional situation exactly. but that's, why that's it's so good the beauty of it to me yeah that is it is pure imagination it's me <laughs> saying well what if i smoked crack 
with Brad Pitt. <laughs> like, let's put me in a situation where crack is amazing really? and where anyone, if Brad Pitt says, do you want to oh. smoke crack? Most people are going to be like, I, I don't, but with you, Brad, okay. Of course. I, yeah, of course I will smoke crack with you. And that was <laughs> the idea of it. Oh. It's just that this fantastical situation. And then it allowed me to kind of put like, poetry into my stand-up where I'm saying these beautiful images and I'm painting this picture right in front of you, mm-hmm. but the whole thing I'm painting is just me and Brad Pitt smoking crack together. Exactly. And it's, I love performing that bit. I haven't done that bit in a very long time. Okay. When I put it on that album and I kind of like, okay, that's the end of that one. It's, it's great. It served me for a time, but I'm good. But yeah, it's things like that. It's like, I, I'm not wow. going to hold myself back. If I think something is funny, I will find a way to show the audience why it's funny. And maybe you'll come along with me. Maybe there you, you won't. But the people that do go with me are like, I see where you're going. I enjoy taking this ride through your brain, you know, and that's part of the fun. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. Okay, now I'm still on the drugs. Because up here in Canada, and obviously there in California, weed is legal, right? So I love to indulge in weed myself. You love to indulge in weed. Is it still your favorite drug? And why do you love weed so much? So it is my favorite drug. Uh, I am off, I've been off it right now for over a month. And oh. it's the reason the reason is it's I've got nothing I'm afraid to talk about. It's for fertility purposes. We're trying okay. to have a baby and it's better if I am also not just that. I'm also going through a very transitional period where I just got over having cancer a few months ago and I'm trying to clean out my body because when I was, I dude, I was just puffing my way through cancer. Like, you know, that's, it's, it's acceptable. Yeah. It was acceptable before I had cancer, but it was one of the things I was still allowed to do. Yes. So I just kept smoking and then I realized like, I don't really know where I want to go with myself right now because I have this, you know, I, I came very close to dying. I didn't. Now I'm feeling healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take some things out of the equation that might just be allowing me to avoid the thoughts that I really need right now. Because uh, I pretty much only smoked pot at night when I would get back from doing my shows or I was already done performing. Sure. But I would still use it to just kind of escape and just be like okay shut down i don't need i don't i don't need to be a part of this like world anymore and now for over a month i have been living in reality which dude fuck that noise (laughs) 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 reality sucks right but i am i'm feeling really good but the reason weed's my favorite drug is because it's a constant is because it's not actually doing anything physically harmful Mm -hmm. to you like compared to a lot of the other drugs you could do i love psychedelics i always have i've always been a fan of mushrooms and acid and dmt and all these other things but weed is one of the ones where you can't just do mushrooms every day exactly you you go psychotic yeah but weed is like it just makes me feel good it doesn't block i I never really thought it blocked me Mm -hmm. it allowed me to just like i could go out and i could just you know kind of just be a normal person. Exactly. Smoking weed. Most people wouldn't know I was high. Thank unless you. Unless I told you I was high. But I will say this. 
now that I've been off it for five weeks, mm-hmm. not to say I won't ever go back, but I promised my wife I would give it at least three months because okay. we're trying to have because we're because we're trying to have a baby, and it's just one of the it's just a good thing to do. I am very inspired very motivated and i feel that within myself that because i'm living in my thoughts and i can't just go shut them down man don't worry about the future right now don't worry about how you're gonna get there just zone out and i'm not doing that instead i'm thinking more and i'm trying to solve problems that otherwise i would have been like i'm not gonna do it see i'm the complete fucking opposite when i don't smoke weed I'm lazier. I have no motivation. I can't think of anything. As soon as I smoke, boom. Like, even my wife notices. I'll go on my phone. I'm making notes for stuff and doing this. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, something just came to me. I got to write it down before I forget or whatever. But when I'm not smoking, I'm just like a potato. I'm just sitting there. Ah, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? And I find I'm more creative being high, I guess. Like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things with me where it just does the complete opposite. Yeah, I mean, you know, I go both ways because I still, like, I even looked at my wife, like, this morning and I was just like, I was like, so, can I go back to smoking weed? (laughs) And she she knows, like, I'm not going to right Right. now because I didn't make this commitment. But I'm really trying to figure things out within myself that maybe weed could have given me the answer maybe it couldn't have but i also just think that because i made this very deliberate choice to mm. not indulge in any form of, of like any types of like i'm not i haven't drank since april i haven't wow. i you know i'm doing a lot of things for myself to sure. like keep my, to keep my body and my mind healthy and so i think part of me is going well make sure this works for you don't be lazy. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by the reality of the world and the weight of everything crashing down. Find a way to force your way through it. And a lot of that is keeping myself busy in different ways. So I'm writing more. I'm trying to like you know upload things to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to get myself out there in all these new ways. And I'm taking chances that maybe I wouldn't have taken otherwise. So whatever it is, because I will never naysay marijuana ever in my life. Right. But whenever whatever it is you're doing, you have to make it work for you. And when you've been doing something for a long time, I mean, I was pretty much a daily pot smoker for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad choice to make a change for a little while to see what happens That's a good within you. And I think I was stagnant and stuck in my routine. Mm. So even though I wasn't physically addicted, I was mentally addicted. And the first couple weeks, man, when I stopped, I was like driving home from shows going, man, I can't wait to get high. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, I, I can't. can't. Oh. Okay. How do I go to sleep? Ah. What do I what do I do when I get yeah. home if I'm not just going to get high and stop thinking about things? <laughs> oh, I have to think about things. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> right? So, yeah, make it that's my thing. It's like whatever you're choosing make it work for you and switching up your routine is a great way to learn things about yourself and also to open up new doors. I know what smoking weed Alex does. I don't really know what sober Alex does Mm. and I'm finding out right now. There you go. Well put. Okay. Last thing before I let you go, my friend, the whole cancer thing, what was going through your mind when you got it? When did you decide that you're going to fuck this thing? I'm going to make a comedic all the way and even bring it on stage. 
Well, obviously, cancer is so sexy. Who doesn't want to fuck it, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, right. No, I mean, there were th- there was three months of testing where I had no idea what was going on. I just mm. knew something was very wrong with me, mm-hmm. and it was probably cancer, but I didn't know what it was. And oh. I was depressed. I was lethargic. I was an- anxious. There were, you know, but okay. once they told me, okay, we figured it out. It's stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. And here's what we do uh, to get rid of it. You're going to go through 12 rounds of chemotherapy. You are young and you are healthy. And you, there's a 95% prognosis for a cure oh, wow. for you. Okay, and good. I was like, great. Then fucking get it out of me and let's go. <laughs> right. And so immediately, as soon as I knew what it was, I just I started talking about uh. it. I told the world because I didn't want people to see me like maybe getting weaker, feeling sick, being Mm. aloof and go, are you okay, man? Uh, Is everything all right? I didn't want to have to explain myself. So I've always been vocal about who I am and what I'm going through. And I just told everybody so that I could control the narrative. I could be in front of it. Nobody would have to ask me questions if I am letting the information out but i also knew that by doing this in a certain way people kind of you know my my fans and the people that follow me they look to me sometimes for positivity for inspiration for you know the way i handle and approach life because i've done a lot of work on myself to get there Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't set out to be inspiring in any way if that is something that uh, it has an effect on you great i'm not trying to go in there and be like i have all the answers i fucking don't but being transparent about cancer it really allowed people to be a little less scared Mm. of it they didn't have to fear be fearful for me a lot of people would walk up and be like hey my dad was just diagnosed and i showed him your videos about how you're laughing about it Mm -hmm. how you're joking about it and how like you're shooting videos of you getting chemo infusions and making (laughs) and just like lightening the situation and a lot of people told me that it alleviated their own fears just because they were watching somebody put humor, put life into it mm-hmm. because too much of cancer. And I understand why, but it's, you know, a dismal sentence for a lot of people. Yeah. They do not want it. That word. That's why they call it the C word. Right. They won't even say it. Yeah. They've forgotten about cunt, by the way, because <laughs> that's the C word that I'm familiar with, yeah. but they don't want to say it. And I, know. I was like, no, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to make this work for me. However I can, I'm going to beat this, and it's going to become just another part of my story that strengthens the who I am at my core. And now that I know I can survive this, and it got pretty fucking hairy for a little while. I mean, it goes bad, 33 days in the hospital because of Ooh. sepsis, because of inf- internal infection, like bad, bad, bad shit. Right. But I survived it, and now... I'm playing tennis again. I'm slacklining again. I'm running up mountains. I'm doing things that make me feel incredible. And I think about where I was eight, seven months ago, laying in a hospital bed, unable to move. Wow. And I just told myself, I do not accept this reality. Mm -hmm. This is a temporary situation. 
I'll get myself out of it. Good for you. However I need to. And I'm very lucky to have a support system. My wife, my family, my friends, they were all there for me the entire time. They really kept convincing me to keep fucking going. And it helped a lot. So, yeah, it just, you know, I don't wish this shit on anybody, but if you get it, I hope you have a support system and being vocal about it allowed people to help me in ways that I wouldn't have probably let them in otherwise. That's awesome to hear. And yeah, and again, congrats to that because yeah, I could not imagine and I would never bestow it upon anyone. Unfortunately, I, I had to live with cancer in my life. My mom ended up getting it when I was very young. And I don't even know if I think I ever said this on the show, but when I was born, my mom already had cancer. So I was living Whoa. in her while she had cancer. So... Whoa. Right? Isn't that crazy? That's, I mean, dude, that's heavy. That's a lot to deal with and think about. And I mean, did your mom, did your mom beat it? Can I ask? Well, she bit it at first, but then it ended up coming back and all that. So she last, the doctors gave her two months. She ended up lasting 26 years. Fuck yeah. I mean, dude, honestly, (laughs) like, I'm sorry that she's not with you anymore, with with us anymore, but that is a beautiful thing that she was able to stay with you that long and defy the odds of what people are telling you. Because look, what a doctor tells you doesn't have to be an inherent truth. They're also guessing. Thank you. Mentality is everything. It is. The way I got through cancer is basically by saying, I will get through this. I will beat this thing. This will just be a blip in the radar of my life. And I never thought awesome. I'm going to fucking die. Oh my God. Good. What do I do? Yeah. I, I, because it, as soon as you have those thoughts, you're losing. Mm. And I refuse to accept that mentality. So instead I was like, Nope, Nope, we're going to get through this. This sucks. It's inconvenient. It's expensive, <laughs> but we can get through it. There you go. Love it. My friend. Love it. Well, plug your stuff. Anything you want to promote floors, all yours, my friend. Hoopercomedy.com is where you can see all of my tour dates. Um, I have a bunch of them coming up right now. Uh, I have a brand new set coming out on Comedy Central August 9th. So I imagine this podcast will probably be out after that um, somewhere. So yeah, no, good. So go back August 9th, Comedy Central, stand up YouTube. Go watch that set, comment on it, share it. The best thing you can do is comment and share the YouTube because then that shit explodes and if you like what i do check out my albums watch my agt performances and sign up for my email list because i put some positivity in your inbox every single week and i try to make people feel good about themselves while making fucked up jokes in the process so you know if you are an andrew tate lookalike like our good friend steve here and you're not really sure how you're gonna get out of prison don't worry I will lift you up and tell you how to chew through those bars like they're off fucking quick. <laughs> there you go. You kept your promise. Thank you, my friend. And for me, you can right. find I mean, me. That's, that's, that's a really weak one because I no, was that's... not thinking about it. And I just was like, oh, quick, something. But I'll take it. 
There you go. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, or X as it's called now, at Fingerstyles, or you can follow the podcast on X, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. Please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. And if this is the first time listening to the podcast and you like what you heard, please go back and listen to other episodes featuring comics such as James Camacho, Jade Catapreta, and and Adam Hunter, to name just a few. All right, my friend. Right? Exactly. Come on. Only the best come on the podcast, my friend. Only the best. Hell yeah. <laughs> One last question before I let you go. Yeah. All right. If you could go on any other reality show that's out there, which one would you want to be on? Ooh. Um, you know what? Probably. Uh, <laughs> really, I, this is a hard question because immediately I thought deadliest catch, but then I was oh. like, no, I do not have the strength to survive what is happening out there, <laughs> and I look like a crab, and they would probably oh my throw God. me in the net with everybody else. Um, look, I'm married, but throw me on Love Island, dude, and just let me. I, look, I beat cancer. I think I get a hall pass if I go on a show <laughs> like that. So throw me on Love Island and let. Me do the work on those palm trees. That's what I wanted. Yeah. You know, we can get sand in all the wrong places. <laughs> on that note, he's Alex. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>